Welcome to the Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. Always an honor to speak here at Remnant Christian Center. Always, always an honor. What an incredible word that PK gave last Sunday. Wasn't that great? And uh, I think it was a week before that, right, Darlene? You spoke the week before that? Incredible word. In this house, uh, we, we believe in the Bible. That in Christ is either male nor female. And women can do anything in the spirit that men can do. And if you have been brought up in a church that believes otherwise, I promise you that any scripture they're giving you is taken out of context. Women can be overseers, elders, deacons, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. If you disagree, just come see me afterwards, if you can find me. And then, um, wow, then uh, it took maybe five or six days to piece this place back together when Steve Hoffer came and blew this place up. My God, what a word, what a word. Jeremiah chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. With the exception of one scripture, everything I'm going to give is going to be from the New King James. The word which came to Jeremiah from the the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, or in this case, O remnant Christian center, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord. Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. One of the things that I find, I grew up in church. I don't have uh, any wild testimonies like maybe Luis Castillo does and and people that maybe didn't grow up in church. But I I was raised in the the church. And uh, one of the things that was always a big pursuit for Christians is once they get saved and they get on fire for God, they want to find out what is their purpose, what's their identity, what is it that they're called to do. And there's that search, what is the will of God for my life? If I could just know what the will of God is, I can do it. Just show me, God, what your will is. And then what happens is, is that when we ask God for that, God takes us and places us on a wheel, a potter's wheel, and he begins to mold us, and he begins to form us. And if there's a crack that maybe was placed in us from generations. Maybe it was something that was placed upon us when we were a child, but there's a crack in our foundation. There's a crack in our integrity. There's a crack in our character. The potter has to push it and crush it down and start spinning the wheel again, and as he spins the wheel, he begins to form you. But sometimes we get, in, we get upset and we get frustrated with life. I'm like, God, why am I going through this? God, can you please make this stop? And God, who hears our prayers and answers our prayers, takes us off the wheel. And then there we go again. God, if you could just use me. 
God, if you could just, what is your will, God? And God says, okay. And he takes us and places us back on the wheel. I want to speak to you this morning about the will of God and the wheel of God. Sometimes we think it's all, well, maybe it's, that's just, you know, the, God takes people off the wheel when they're backsliding. But that's not the case. That's, that's really, that's, that's far and few in between. The majority of it has to do with us simply not submitting to the process. And sometimes we think it's, it's uh, blatant, but I'm telling you, having, this ain't my first rodeo. Having been in this for quite some time, it's something as subtle as settling. When you settle for anything other than the will of God, you can miss what God has for you. So I want to take a look at a few characters in Scripture. One in particular, his name is Terach. And Terach may not sound, I mean, Enrique probably knows who he is. Frankie probably knows who he is. There's probably a handful of us that may know who he is. But Terach was Abram's father. And it says here in Genesis Chapter 11, verse 31, this particular verse, I'm reading for the New American Standard. It says, And Terach took Abram his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went out from the Ur of Chaldees in order to enter into the land of Canaan. Sound familiar? Land of Canaan, that's the promised land. And they went as far as Haran, and they settled there. They settled there. We don't hear much about Terach other than this couple of mentions in Scripture. When we talk about people in Scriptures, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because what happens is when you settle for anything less than what God has for you, you remove yourself from the possible history that you could be included in. And I want you to really hear me because God is a generational God. Right? He's the God of Abraham, he's the God of Isaac, he's the God of Jacob. And wherever you stop off in the spirit is where your kids will pick up. If Enrique stops where he's doing right now in the will of God, his kids are going to do great, right? Starting from here. But if he fulfills the will of God, they'll start from here. God wanted Terach to go into the promised land, but he settled. And God wants you to fulfill your promise. God wants you to fulfill the call and the purpose and the destiny that God has for your life. But he doesn't need you. He wants you. There's a big difference. And if you don't fulfill it, he'll fulfill it through your seed and through the next generation, which he did. You, don't want, to, you want to settle there? All right then we'll just go with your son Abram. Settling is the easiest way and the most subtle way because we're still serving the Lord. We're still coming to church. We're still paying our tithes. We're still worshiping. Maybe we'll serve a little bit here. We'll volunteer there. And, and, and all that, there's a sanctity and a holiness and a purity to that. But are you fulfilling the call that God has for your life? And what happens is when we want to fulfill that call, we've got to get back on that wheel. And it is painful when the potter sees something that we don't really want to deal with. <laughs> Let me give you some context because Terach isn't that bad of a guy. I wanted to get, there's, some, there's so many things in this one verse here. 
First of all, who is Terach? Let's talk about the antediluvian civilization. These are the people that came from before the flood. In Genesis chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Now this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Everyone in the world comes from these three guys. Everyone. They all come from these three guys. Shem, the oldest, is the one who, who wound up populating the majority of Asia. Well, what is now Asia. And I'll explain what I mean by what is now. Japheth, the youngest, wound up populating what is now Europe. And I'm going to get back to why I keep saying what is now. And Ham, um, the middle son, like myself, uh, wound up populating what is now Africa and parts of the Middle East. Because at that point, during this time, there was only one continent. It was a supercontinent. Some people call it Pangaea. There was only one landmass. Okay? It tells us in Genesis chapter 10, verse 25, to Eber was born two sons. And the name of one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided. So something happened when Peleg was born and was raised that all of a sudden rivers and streams and seas began to divide the land and the Western Hemisphere began to shift and what North and South America, which was once connected to Europe and Africa, they even say that the, that the sands along Brazil are very similar to the ones in uh, Western Africa and the soil that's there. And so, which only proves the Bible, of course. True science and math always prove the Bible all the time. So it was one huge landmass. And Genesis 10.6 says Ham had many sons, but one in particular was Cush. And Cush had a son that was quite famous. I, kinda, I went really deep into him a couple of years ago, but in Genesis chapter 10, verse 8 and 9, it says that Cush begot Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it says, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. So on the surface, it sounds like, well, this guy has some really good skills, and he must really love the Lord. Um, but the word mighty in the Hebrew literally means a strong, giant tyrant. A strong, giant tyrant. And it says when he was a mighty hunter before the Lord, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. That word in Hebrew for before means against. He was a mighty hunter against the Lord. Now, mind you, he's the great grandson of Noah. Noah, Ham, Cush, Nimrod. And Nimrod was angry at God because of the flood. You see, what happens is when we go through trials and tribulations and we're at home and all we do is complain, and we don't explain to our children about the process that God has us in, and then we don't understand why our parents go through this and our parents go through that, and we're not explaining to them the process, then our children can grow up to be bitter against God. Man, it's quiet in here. All right. He was angry at God about the flood. His name Nimrod literally means rebellion. Genesis 9.4 says, but you shall not eat the flesh with its life, that is his blood. So one thing he was famous for is he would hunt humans because he knew that humans, supposedly in his eyes, yeah, you really love humans? If they're the apple of your eye, he would hunt humans. And then while they were still alive, he would drink their blood. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Yeah, a lot of politicians, stuff coming out in, in media about politicians and, and uh, people in hot. Well, I'm not going to get another rabbit trail. Uh, but all, that, all these stories, like a vampire, all, all that derives from Nimrod. All that derives from Nimrod. But he wasn't just some savage. He was brilliant. 
He was great in math, great in science. He was a great, had amazing organizational skills. It says in Genesis 10 and 11, Genesis chapter 10, verses 10 and 11, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel in the land of Shinar. Verse 11 says, from that land he went to Assyria and built Nineveh. So the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. So long after he was gone, we have one of the greatest empires in the world, the Babylonian Empire. He started this country. He, started, he built, uh, set up the architecture for all the structures there. And when he was done, that wasn't enough. He goes to Syria and develops Nineveh. Anybody read the book of Jonah? And what Jonah had to deal with? All that began with Nimrod. So I want you to understand this. Now, in Genesis 11:4, it says, And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city, a tower whose top is in the heavens. And I remember as a kid reading the stories, and I would have Bibles with pictures in it, and it would be this really, really tall tower going up into the clouds. And um, that's not really what it's saying in the Hebrew. It wasn't about the height. It was about its ability to see the stars. It had to do with astronomy. You guys with me? All right. David said in Psalm 19, verse 1 and 3, 1 through 3, that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament show his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night it reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. From the beginning of creation, when God created the sun, the moon, and the stars, in that, because the Bible says Jesus was crucified before the foundations of the earth, God spelled out the story of the gospel amongst the stars. Astronomy is biblical. Nimrod, who hates God, was the one who decided to pervert astronomy, and he was the one that developed astrology. And astrology, for those of you who read your astrology, stop. It is clearly, clearly condemned. It is a perversion of what God has designed. He he developed what's called the zodiac sign. Because there are constellations that, as the earth rotates, that formulate in the sky. One for every month. And he began to pervert the gospel and developed astrology. And he developed the the zodiac sign, which begins with Aries and ends with Pisces. He did that because he hated the preaching of the gospel. He hated anything that God had done, is doing, and will do. Um, The gospel is in the Maseroth, which was the Jewish understanding of the constellations. And in the Maseroth, and Job speaks about the Maseroth, it begins with Virgo and ends with Leo. Because Virgo is a prophecy that a virgin shall conceive, and Leo is that he is the lion of the tribe of Judah who will be coming again. That is the gospel in the stars. That is biblical astronomy. Now, I went in depth in that. If you weren't here when I taught that a couple of years ago, everything's online. But I want you to understand here what's happening at Terach, because Terach was an advisor for Nimrod in Babel. He was one of his advisors. And then upon the birth of Abram, Nimrod requested that Terach sell him his child because Nimrod might kill him because Nimrod had a dream that suggested to him that Abram would lead to, da- to Nimrod's downfall. And the story goes on to tell us in history that Terach gave Nimrod a slave child instead and then handed his resignation and left. And he didn't think anything of it all. He's probably just mourning and weeping, but he was an obedient servant. And uh, obviously we know that Abraham wasn't his downfall. Uh, actually, it was Esau, but that's a whole other story. 
You guys doing all right? So he leaves Earl of the Chaldees, which is the center of moon worship, because he understood the gospel that was in the stars. He understood there was a soon coming king. And the Bible says he left the Earl of Chaldees and was headed to the land of Canaan, but he came to a place called Haran, and he settled. I can definitely uh, sympathize with him. Growing up in New York City, and then as a kid, we would go up to uh, upstate New York to the Adirondack Mountains, which is the largest state park in the United States, and seeing the mountains over there. They had two of the um, Winter Olympics, Lake Placid in that area. And then when um, Yvette and I began to travel with the girls, and we'd see the Appalachian Mountains and the Blue Ridge Mountains uh, and the and the Rocky Mountains, and then when we got to Hawaii and saw the giant mountains in Hawaii, it is just breathtaking to see the mountains. And so it's, especially when you live in Florida and everything is so flat, <laughs> you look, everything is sky, you know? And I, and I, 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 love, I love Florida, but I know, right? I'll drive through Claremont and just wish. <laughs> yeah, not quite, doesn't quite do it, but... Terach, his name means stationary. This guy just—he's the kind of guy who comes home from work and just wants to plop on the sofa and watch Netflix, and he's just just happy to just be stay put. He doesn't want to go out, go out, go anywhere. You know, my dad was like that. He just wanted to just stay home because he worked so hard. So I understand that. But when you settle, no matter how attractive it may look and how easy it may seem, when you settle, it is because God has removed you from the wheel. And if you want all that God wants for your life, you're going to have to get on that wheel and stop blaming everything on the devil. I want to let you know that the will of God is the word of God. Because sometimes I'll, and I know PK, you probably dealt with this a lot in your counseling, but we sit with people. And, and just, oh, if I just knew what the will of God was, and I'm thinking of, well, the Bible's really clear about that, <laughs> you know? And so, but, you know, I, with, with the attendance that we have on Monday nights, I guess I kind of understand, you know? Maybe if you guys came out a little more on Monday nights and get some, with some of these amazing teachers that we'd have, it'd help you out. But there's a lot in the Word, okay? And His Word is His will. You don't have to pray about it. I love those Christians, oh, I need to pray, I need to be led. Like you want to put a bunch of pencils in their pocket, right? Because they need to be led of the Spirit. I don't have to be led when the Word is pretty clear. I just got to follow what the Word says. Now, I believe in being leading of the Spirit. I believe in Rhema 100%. But your, your level of reception of Rhema is only dependent upon your foundation of logos. Let's look at some of the things the Bible has to say about the will of God. Romans 12.2 is a top pinnacle verse. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will. And every time I hear people teach on it, they concentrate on the good, the acceptable, and the perfect, and they make it into three categories, whatever. The point is, the point is, don't be conformed to this world. And how that happens is you have the renewing of your mind. In other words, I think this way, but God thinks this way. I've got to change the way I think. 
And that's what Jesus said when he said, wow, what a simple message. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The word repent means to change the way you think. I need to change my mind. God says this, but I'm thinking that. And my actions are based upon my emotions. And my emotions are based upon my thoughts. And if I'm thinking wrong, I'm going to feel wrong and I'm going to act wrong. But if I change the way I think, if I remove my thoughts and I exchange it for God's thoughts and his precepts and his word, then my emotions will change. You know, I don't have to be angry about this all the time. I don't have to get excited about things like that anymore. I can change my lifestyle by changing the way I think. Does God want me to go to church? You know those, those Christians like this thing about, oh, I, 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 can, I love the Lord. I just don't love going to church. And I don't think I need to be a part of the church. And... And then there's this whole movement about the kingdom. And understand something, that Jesus came to build this church. Okay? So you can do things the way you want to do it. Just understand you're, gonna, you're not going to be on the wheel. And you'll never fulfill your purpose and call. And you will always be unsatisfied with life. Always. Okay? You could do things your way or you can do things his way. Jesus said that the family is the church. And we come to church not to... Not because we have to, but because we want to. Because we, we're a family and we get together. I love it when I get to last week, you know, my, well, my, we had my, the memorial for my mom. And, and man, for the first time in who knows how long, I had all four of my kids together. Now, my, my daughter from New York, you know, I, I see her probably more often than my son who lives locally. But it was nice to have all four of my kids together. It was a, a sad occasion, you know, it was a memorial for my mom. But it, was, it felt so good to have them all together because we are family. And Jesus said in Mark 3.35, whoever does the will of God is my brother, is my sister, is my mother. That's the real church. The ones who are on the wheel doing the will of God. Not just the churchgoers. That could be all of us, and it should be. But God's not going to force that on you. It's a decision you got to make. Okay? Do I have to be baptized? No, you don't have to do anything but die. Okay? Was it death and taxes? That's what they say, right? Death and taxes? You, you, if you're saved, you're going to heaven regardless. Okay? You're saved by grace, not by works. So you don't have to do anything. But you should want to do what God wants for you. And Luke 7.30, it says, But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God, not having been baptized by him. So if you want to know if it's God's will for you to be baptized, his word says yes. Okay? How about, here's another one, praying in tongues. Do I got to speak in tongues? No, you don't got to do anything. Jesus spoke for 40 days and 40 nights speaking on things pertaining to the kingdom of God in Acts chapter 1. Remember that? He gave him one homework assignment. Wait in Jerusalem till you get power. And 120 show up. The other 380 is like, nah, I don't need that. I could do it on my own strength. I don't need to speak in tongues. Nah, only 120 showed up. Okay? But this is what God says. In 1 Corinthians 14, 5, now I wish that you all spoke with tongues. You don't have to. You'll still go to heaven, but God wants you to. Man, it's real quiet. It may be a long altar call. Because you, you see how the kids get it. You guys all get in the claw. So this speaking in tongues, I mean, it's, it's just so weird. That's just weird stuff. I, I know. When I was a kid, I used to hate it, too, going to church with my mother and everybody. I would hate inviting friends from school or friends from around the neighborhood because when the people start speaking in tongues, it's like, oh, my God, this is embarrassing. Because I didn't understand it. There was no teaching in church, right? It was all about experience. And experience is good, but we need knowledge. Romans 8.26 says, likewise, the Spirit helps our weaknesses. Well, what weakness, Paul? Well, I'm glad you asked. For you don't know how to pray the way you ought to. 
But the Spirit himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. In the Greek is with words that cannot be understood. Now he who searches the heart knows the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So I don't know what I'm saying when I'm praying in tongues. I do know based upon the Bible that when I'm praying in tongues, I'm praying the perfect will of God. So sometimes, now I got four kids, and all four kids are very different. Um, if you know my four, they're all very different. So I will pray for them as much as I can in English. But at the end, I start praying in, in tongues, and I know whatever it is I'm praying, I'm praying the perfect will of God. Why? Because the word says so. His word is his will. Okay? 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Does God hear me? This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, not our will, his will, then he hears us. And, we, and if we know that he hears us, Whatever we ask, we know that we will have the petitions that we have asked of him because he hears us if we're praying his will. That should empower and infuse your prayer. Wow, my brother's here. Hey, Noel. You want to come up and say hi? Ah, okay. He's going to pass. Angels. You know that one-third of the Bible speaks about angels? There is so much scripture from Genesis to Revelation about angels. You ever hear somebody pray, I, I command angels or I dispatch angels to go and go forth and do this? Uh, Rick Joyner, I remember him saying at a conference, he goes, because he's had a lot of angelic visitations. He's the founder of Morningstar. He goes, when people that say that, they've never seen an angel before. Because every time I see one, I'm scared to death. They startle me. They just pop up out of nowhere. I walk into a room, and they're there having conversations with each other. And, but listen, they're not going to obey us, but they'll obey his word. Amen. Hebrews 1.14, speaking of angels, says, Are they not ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who inherit salvation? That's the reason why they, they're here to minister. That means serve us. It doesn't mean we command them, though. Psalm 103 Verse 20 says, Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. So when I quote the word, and when I quote the prophetic words over my life, the angels hear that, and they obey that. And that's what dispatches them. Not because I just, hey, get up and give me a cup of coffee. (laughs) You're right. Get it yourself. Doing the will of God is serving from a pure heart, not so that anybody can see you, not so you can brown nose. And believe me, I've seen that before. I've been, it doesn't happen here. But they say my first rodeo, and I've been to churches, right, PK? We've been to churches, part of churches before, where people will come in and they want to just, they only want to be buddy buddy with the senior minister. But they'll disrespect elders and deacons and, and all the parishioners. And they think, well, no one's really going to see this, but God sees it. Ephesians 6 6 says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Speaking of service, not with eye service. What do you do behind the scenes? What do you do when nobody's looking? What do you do when nobody can give you credit? That's the will of God. 
How about gratitude? 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In everything. How many times do we sit around complaining and grumbling? The will of God is to give thanks. Well, my father passed away in 2017. Um, It was a very long process of grieving because I had felt so guilty. I had went from being an agent in a firm to, uh, to trying to become a broker, and it was a lot of work, and I have flight benefits, which means um, because I work uh, at JetBlue, and I've gotten people jobs there that I can fly for free on JetBlue, so I had the ability to go see him every month if I wanted to, and I, I just didn't go do it. I, just, I was just busy trying to build my business, and then I was able to get, call him right before his birthday, and then I called him on his birthday the next day, and that's the last time I spoke to him, and he passed. So for the longest time, I went through guilt uh, because of the would've, could'ves, and should'ves. But what helped me heal was when I read this verse, and the Spirit says, in everything, give thanks. And so I had to stop looking at what, what I could have done and think about the times I did have with him. And, and that's how I, uh, I've been healing a lot faster in the process with the passing of our mother, is being grateful for the times that we were there. In everything give thanks, this is the will of God. It's so easy to find things half empty. It's so easy to be pessimistic. It's so easy to complain. Be grateful. I will enter into his gates with? In my heart. How about doing good? Wow, that seems oversimplistic. 1 Peter 2.15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Doing good. (laughs) By doing good. It's so easy if someone's nasty with you to get nasty back. It's so easy to react. But what if someone is treating you unfairly? What if someone is treating you in an unkind way? I mean, it's it's pretty easy with the world, but what about when they're in church and they should know better? For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. I remember hearing a story where Rick Joyner was online. Uh, no, no, it wasn't Rick Joyner. It was Francis Fragipane. Uh, he was online at the airport, and uh, he was speaking to his friend who he was witnessing to, who was a Muslim, and didn't understand the concept of Christ dying for him, and, and they were talking about it. And meanwhile, it was a very long line, and somebody just got out of the line and went straight to the front, okay? They tried, and people started fighting with the person, fighting with the person, and he went over to the guy and said, hey, you could, I'm second in line. You could just cut right in front of me. And, and everyone just stopped. And the Muslim looked at him and he goes, now I understand the gospel. And he got saved just from that action. By doing good, silence the ignorance of men. Endurance. Endurance, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. There is a promise. It's not all bad being on the wheel. It's just the process. The process is for you. You see, when we become born again, our spirits are newborn babies. And we've got to feed you milk, and we've got to change your pamper, and we've got to put you for a nap. And you could be 60, 70 years old. But you're still a baby. But I've been in church 20 years, but I'm still changing your diaper. You're still a baby. 
Your time does not equate to maturity in the spirit. I know people that have been saved 40, 50 years, and we're still giving them milk, and we're still changing their diaper. And it's okay. You know, we love you, and that's the job of leadership. That's what we do. But you don't have to stay there. Don't settle. Don't settle. But there is a process, and part of that process is suffering. And we don't hear too much of that. But we're going to look at the Bible. Philippians 3.10, Paul said, oh, that I may know him. In the power of his resurrection. And that's what we all, we all want the power. We want to heal the sick, cast out devils, raise the dead. Right? Jesus said, the things that I do, you're going to do also. And many and greater things than these you're going to do. Okay? And we all want that. And the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Suffering is an essential part of life. We go through suffering regardless. 1 Peter 3.17 says, For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good rather than doing evil. Okay? It is better. I was watching, we were watching a documentary on, uh, and listen, I'm not taking anything that the world has to say about the church with a grain of salt, okay? But there was a documentary we were watching on Hillsong and the fall of Hillsong with the pastor from uh, New York City, which is the largest Hillsong and the founder in Australia. And, um, and, and, and there were some things that he went through, but there were some things he went through that, hey, listen, buddy, you're going to have to chalk it up. There's some things you did, you know, you have to chalk things up. And then, uh, so they, they showed two ministries, and one of them took full ownership of everything he did, and the other one just kept making excuses. And I'm like, let me tell you something. It says here, it's better if it's the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. If you're suffering because you messed up, you're just going to have to bite the bullet. That's all there is to it. I've been there. I've messed up, and I've had to just bite the bullet. Can't complain. Got to go through the process. Got to go through the embarrassment. Got to go through the shame. But when you're doing the will of God, okay, it's way better because that's going to help you come out. It's going to remove the dross. And your gold, how many of you want 14 karat gold? How many of you want 24 karat gold? Okay, the process is you're in the heat a little longer. They're going to remove the dross and the impurities. How long can you stay in the heat? Okay. Abram, Abraham saw that his father settled. Abraham said, I'm not going to settle. I'm going into the promised land. I'm going to have everything that God wants for me. And God's like, is, is that right? Yes, I want, I want the will of God. You want the will of God? Yeah. How old are you? I'm 99. All right, I want you to get circumcised. Can we talk about this? 99 years old. Ouch. Right? How about waiting all his life for his son? And then when he gets him, God says, I want you to sacrifice him. Do you want the will? But he was willing to do it. But guess what? You, you know what happens at the end? I wanted to see that you're willing to do it. And now you get the whole promise. Ishmael, I want the wheel too. Okay, you're 13 years old. You get circumcised. Man. But some of us don't want the wheel. We want the easy way out. So Abram's business explodes. And his, and his nephew Lot's business explodes. And Lot's entourage starts to fight with Abram's entourage. 
And Abram's like, come on, we could work this out. Lot is not really confrontational. Nah, I don't want to deal with these issues. I think it's just easier if we just part ways. No, come on, we're family. We could work this out. Nah, there's this land over there called Sodom. It looks really good to me. How did that work out? Well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about some of the real, two, two real things that happened to him. He lost his wife. When you're, when you're in the midst of, you know, the Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. And when you're in the midst of, and it's not just, you know, just the, the blatant stuff, but it's some of the things that aren't blatant that we realize is wrong too. Gossip is sin, right? And so they're leaving, and the angel's like, whatever you do, don't look back. And she's so used to the, what's going to happen to them? All fire and brimstone. Ah, bochinche. And he lost his wife. You think that's bad? It gets worse. His daughters feel that it's hopeless. They wait till he's tired and they get him drunk and both his daughters rape him. You haven't read that? Mm. Come Monday nights, you'll be surprised. How about Jacob? Jacob says, I want the will of God. Well, you got to do something different. Well, what's that? You got to get a job. A job. His grandfather was an entrepreneur. His father was an entrepreneur. They controlled their income. They controlled their time. And now he's got to be subservient to an employer. You ever think about that? Never had a job before. He grew up in a household of entrepreneurs. But he's in love with Rachel, so he works for her for seven years. And all of a sudden, Laban pulls in, uh, what was her name? Wanda from A Living Color. (laughs) Hey! What have you done to me? How much, how much did he drink that night that he could not have recognized the difference? I've never been drunk before, but I, I can presume that's got to be a lot of liquor. My God. He went through that. 20 years he had to work, right? Seven years to get her, seven years after he got her, another six years to get some crops that he, or, or some um, animals that he could take with him. Uh, then his wife and his concubine get, start fighting, and it gives him drama. Then his father-in-law hunts him down. Uh, then he gets into a wrestling match, and he has a limp for life. You know, you say, "Hey, uh, who wants to come to my prayer line?" <laughs> yeah, that's a real testimony. He's hunted by his own brother Esau. His daughter Dinah gets raped. His son has an affair with one of his wives. He's left to believe that his, he shouldn't have a favorite, but his favorite son is dead for years. Went through a lot of suffering. You want the will of God, you got to be willing to get on the wheel of God. Joseph, hated for his dreams, cast into a pit and left for dead. Think about that, just dropped into a pit and you can't get out. I'm just thinking about all the mosquitoes. <laughs> then he's sold into slavery. How good do you think that is? He's falsely imprisoned for a crime he didn't commit. He blesses someone by, giving, by interpreting their dream, and they forget all about him. So his sentence, he just has to carry his sentence out. Like, oh, my God, the devil was really attacking him. No, no. 
Psalm 105.19 says, Until the time that his word came to pass, it was the word of the Lord that tried him. It was the word of the Lord that tried him. You know, we could look back and blame our half-brothers and, and all the injustices that happened, but it's the word of God over your life, the prophetic word and the promise over your life that's going to cause you to go through some things in life, to get some things out of you, so that you can move forward in everything that God has for you. So that when you finish the race and you complete the will of God, your children will begin where you leave off. That's the prize. Moses, I mean, think about this. He's, what does he need? What does he need as a son of Pharaoh? Every, every bit of finance at his fingertips. He had the highest education possible. Rec, never forgetting his roots, recognizing, okay, he's, he's an Israelite. And he sees one of them being abused, and he winds up killing the Egyptian. And what does that Israelite do? Oh, thank you so much. No, no gratitude at all. Are you going to treat me the way you treat that Egyptian? Did that ever happen to you? No. I can raise both hands and both feet if I could. When you do good for someone and in return, they're not only thankless, but they're spiteful. But he wanted the will of God. He got on the wheel of God. Right? God was even fed up. Just move to the side. I'm going to destroy this whole nation. I'm going to start something scratch with your family. Moses, no, 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 don't do it. And God listened to the prayers of Moses. How grateful were they? Read your Bible. I wonder, I wonder how many times he regretted that decision. Hmm. Daniel. Daniel chapter 1, verse 6. Now from among the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You probably recognize them for the Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but that, that's the names that the world put on them. And they say, you know what? I, I want the will of God. And he said, well, if you want the will of God, you've got to get on the wheel of God. So he gets on the wheel, and Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies. Now, this is Levitical law, right? So that means they can't eat lobster, right? <laughs> they can't eat penil, <laughs> chicharrón. I mean, come on. Goat stew, lengua de vaca, come on. Hey, hey, bite your tongue. Octopus, none of that stuff, okay? He, he purposed that he would not defile himself. And look what God did for him as a result of that, because it could have cost him his life. In Daniel 1.17 and verse, and, and verse 20, as for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them to be twice as good. No? Ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers, back to Nimrod, who were in his realm. That's what God will do for us if we submit to the wheel process. He will give you more than what you need to fulfill your call. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah also, they uh, decided, listen, we're not going to worship false gods. We don't care what it's going to cost us. We're on this wheel, and you can spin this wheel, God, as fast as you want. We're not getting off. So you think God would have just said, okay, well, then you're not going to go through any persecution. <laughs> Negative. The king was so upset, he said, I want you to make this furnace seven times hotter. In fact, the, 
The guys that threw them into the fire got killed from the heat. They came out, they, not a single singe, none of their clothes were singed. They didn't get burned at all. And when the king saw it, he worshiped and bowed down and gave God glory. That's promotion. They got promoted as a result of that. How about Daniel in the lion's den? You mean I can't pray? I'm going to open my window so you could all see me pray. I'm getting on this wheel and I'm not getting off. Oh, well, then you're going in the lion's den. Anybody been close to lions? We've been in Africa before. Those are some big cats. You may see them at a distance in the zoo, but we were up close. When a lion roars, it can be heard for five miles. They truly are the king of the jungle. And to think he was thrown in a den full of them. How many of you think he, just, he was walked in like this? <laughs> now, I think he needed an extra roll of toilet paper. <laughs> I, I don't know, maybe I'm reading into things. David, his dad didn't really think much of him. I'm not going to get into that story. So he's just out there, just what? He's just watching his father's sheep, but he just loved the Lord. He goes, I'm going to get on this wheel. I want to do the will of God. And all of a sudden, a lion comes. But God gives him the strength to beat the lion. And a bear comes, gives him the strength to beat the bear. And all it was was progression after. You ever seen a bear? That's some big animals, right? I remember one time we were in Kentucky. And we're driving real slow, and all of a sudden we see a bear come out, and, and the girls, of course, they're, oh, my God, a bear. And Yvette's like, stay in the car. Don't get out of the car. But we're all looking at her like she's crazy because she's halfway out the car taking pictures. Stay in the car. Don't get out. And we're like, you girls need to hold your mind by the legs because she's going to fall out in a second. Them bears are big animals. He fought the lion. He fought the bear. Then he fight. That, all that was preparation. Okay? Oh, my God. Isn't that another? Or listen, because you overcame this last one, you're going to be more than prepared for this next one. When he goes up against Goliath, Goliath was nine feet, six and a half inches tall. You ever see it? Was it Manute Bowl? Was seven, seven? Elvin, anybody taller than Manute Bowl? No, right? In NBA? So he was nine feet, six and a half inches tall. Unbelievable. How about you finally get involved in a ministry that you want to be a part of and you, get, you don't really know much about ministry and, and someone takes you under their wing and they begin to mentor you and then that person turns on you. And that's what happened with David with Saul. And his own mentor chased him. His own mentor hunted him down. Later on in life, his own son Absalom, who he loved, turned on him. You want the will of God, you're going to have to get on the wheel of God. You can't control what other people do in life, but you can control whether you stay on that wheel. Job, I mean, what time is it? We can go all day. So you don't come Monday nights, we're going to have it all today, so. I said one time, Enrique called me up, and he's like, hey, he's going to let you know nobody showed up. And I was like, nobody puts baby in the corner. How dare you not show up to the great Enrique? I was so upset. He was fine, but I was upset. It says in Job chapter 1, verse 2, that Job had seven sons and three daughters born to him. You know, we, we, um, we have four kids. We, we lost one. We had a, a late pregnancy that we lost. We lost a son, Shiloh. So I know we know what it's like to lose uh, a child, and uh, it's extremely painful. We know we're not the only ones. 
But to, to think that all seven of your sons and all three of your daughters die on the same day? He was extremely prosperous, right? The Bible says he had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, a very large household. And so that this man was the greatest of all the people in the east, Job 1.3. Okay? And look at all that he went through. But here's here's something. He got on the wheel and didn't get off the wheel. He could have cursed God and died, but he didn't. And in the end, in Job 42, 12 to 13, it says, Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 donkeys, and he had an additional seven sons and three daughters. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. I want you to hear this because I don't want you to think that being on the wheel is all doom and gloom. Okay, if I got to do the will of God, my whole life's going to be full of suffering. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, it's like what a writer of Hebrews said, if you endure, you will inherit that promise. If you endure, you will get everything that God has for you. But what happens is when we get on the wheel, not everybody around us may want to join you on the wheel. And they may not do things the way you would want them to do things, and we wind up getting hurt in the process. Suffering is part of this deal. There's no avoiding it. Oh, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. He had visions, dreams, trances, open visions, visitation of angels, transportations, translations. He went up to the third heavens. He had all all kinds of experiences. He moved in healing, signs, miracles, and wonders. He raised the dead. But he was also shipwrecked, beat, stoned, left for dead. Turned on by his own Israelites. Left by people in the church. So... Remnant Christian Center, we have a choice to make today. Do you want the will of God for your life? If you want the will of God, you're going to have to be willing to get on the wheel of God and allow God to mold you. If you don't, there's a place for you. Do you remember where Judas Iscariot was buried? The Bible says in the potter's field. Those are the vessels that are close enough to see what the potter's doing, but too far for his reach for him to actually mold and change him. He was buried in the potter's field. (sighs) In order to know the will of God, you got to be able to hear his voice. And that's why Jeremiah said in verse 2, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. We've got to hear God. Are you willing to get on a wheel? You've got to make a decision today. But he's calling us. Verse 6, he went on to say, O house of Israel, can I not do with you? As this potter, says the Lord, look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. O remnant Christian center, I want you to all stand with me. There's a lot of changes coming, and it starts from the top down, as we heard in the video from PG. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.